0: Big Tech's Ordnance has everything from complete firearms to OEM and aftermarket parts. If you're looking to put together your first AR-15, they have everything from those parts that you need to the tools that are going to be essential. If you're looking for suppressors, night vision, handheld lights, weapon lights, sights or optics, you name it, Big Tech's has it all. Not only that, they're offering all those brands that we like. Go visit them at bigtechsordinance.com. Philster makes awesome holsters. But not only that, they also happen to be one of those companies that are trendsetters. A lot of their designs are emulated by other companies. Not only does Filstered make those holsters, but they also provide concealment systems like the Enigma, the Flex. They also have a lot of solutions when it comes to concealment solutions for medical. If you need to have a concealment first aid kit, they happen to sell them. Check them out at filsterholster.com. Primary Arms Government recently showed off a new giveaway, which features a new Daniel Defense M4 V7 rifle, complete with GLX 1 to 6 power first focal plane and rifle scope, PLX mount, and more. These monthly giveaways are only open to first responders and members of the military, so there's way less competition for the big prize. Entry is also completely free, with no purchase necessary, ever. So if you want to have a chance to win, just visit primaryarms.com/government and hit the giveaway button at the top. Walther is the performance leader in the firearms industry, renowned throughout the world for its innovation. Since Carl Walther and his son Fritz created the first blowback semi-automatic pistol in 1908. Today, the innovative spirit builds off the invention of the concealed carry gun with the PPK series by creating the PPQ, PPS and the Q5 match steel frame series. Military, police, and other government security groups in every country of the world have relied on the high-quality craftsmanship and rugged durability of Walther products. Walther continues its long tradition of technical expertise and innovation in the design and production of firearms. For more information, visit waltherarms.com. everyone, Matt Lanfer here with Primary and Secondary. Welcome to Modcast. The Modcast number is 315. The topic, mental resiliency. Today is October 7th, 2022. I can't believe we're already in October. It's unbelievable how fast this uh, this year's gone by. And uh, I don't know if you guys are aware, but the older you get, the time just goes by faster. So for Chuck, it's going by faster than it does for me. So my, my two-year-old, he's... Yeah, this this year has taken forever for him. Um, my background's in law enforcement. i uh, been doing the cop thing since last century. Uh, there are a lot of potential jobs I could have done, but I think I think this was a job that I was very well suited for uh, with the the no two days are the same. There's no specific one type of person who is optimal for a cop because it takes all types of people to do this kind of a job. Um, part of this job is dealing with stress. Part of this job is dealing with and resolving other people's problems. and that can kind of uh, that can kind of get stressful. And constantly being other people's problem solvers and constantly responding to stressful events can take a toll. And this is one of those things that as a as a baby cop, I, I thought, no, I don't need any of this. this is this is silly. I can just I can power through. And that's not necessarily the case because things can build up, pile on, and uh, and and there could be some weight on your shoulders after after doing this for a little bit. So we're going to talk about some some of this. We're going to talk about some of the some concepts in how to manage some of this stress. And yeah, a lot of this is I wouldn't say it's artificial, but it's 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 being added on by just the the nature of our job, and we're responding to we're responding to people in stress. And as a human, as an empathetic human, when I respond to people that are in stress or in distress, I feel part of that as well. Uh, I think we can take the toughest cop. We can take the Jared Reston's and, and the Chuck Haggard's and all these tough guys. And they've, they're all feeling this as well. And so it's, it's important to acknowledge this and it's important to, to address it because if we ignore it it's just going to make our life worse. And, uh, it's going to be, it's going to take more work to dig ourselves out mentally. So I think I'm now going to ask Chuck Haggard to give his background and I will stop talking.
1: So, uh, retired from one cop job after 28 years, very, very busy department where, uh, I did like 17 years on a very high action SWAT team. I did more than, like, I I can log more than 2,200 high-risk warrants that we did. Uh, Never came off the street except for a three-year stint as a range master. So I spent all of my time either, uh, all of my time was in patrol, otherwise otherwise, uh, outside of the the firearms training, the full-time firearms training job that I had. So taught the academy, use-of-force instructor, defensive tactics instructor, firearms instructor, and then a bunch of other stuff, Field Force, uh, SWAT Team Tactics, Low Light, Active Shooter was a big one when, when that became a very popular thing to uh, work towards. Um, and then uh, retired after 28 years there. Unfortunately, a uh, uh, ongoing theme with me is uh, leaving a job early because earlier than planned because of the toxicity of the upper level leadership. That I had to deal with. So I meant to stay at that job four more years than I did, but I did twenty-eight pulled the pin because the, the situation was just untenable for me. <clears throat> Went to a different job, which uh, was police, fire, air crash rescue, and uh, I have recently quit that job because again, uh, incompetency and toxic leadership at the very top, um, and then you know some some rather profound ethical issues uh, being involved there. Um, so I'm in a part-time law enforcement capacity right now. Uh, one of those, Matt was making fun of my age, but you know you're getting old when, when uh, one of your recruit officers is the sheriff of the county you're living in. So uh, I'm doing some part-time work for sheriff's department, another, another small department in our area. Um, and then my own training gigs and, uh, on the side, agile training and consulting and, uh, been teaching a lot over the past few weeks, um, and doing that kind of thing.
0: I'm kind of surprised you didn't bring up your usual phrase of the, "you're bad, a, you are bad at retirement.
1: Yeah, that was another, uh, <laughs> that was, that was another William April thing. He'd call me up every once in a while. I, I miss that guy. Uh, he'd call me up every once in a while and be like, what are you doing? You're bad at retirement. And if you remember uh, the old, the series in living color, he'd uh, no. call me up and he'd be like, man, you got more jobs than a West Indian. Uh, if you remember that skit, like don't marry that boy. He only have three jobs. Your father has eight jobs, you know, that kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> so now I'm down to two part-time jobs and my own training gig uh, to keep me busy while I'm shopping for the, I constantly joke, I don't know what I' want to want to be when I grow up, so I'm still working on that.
0: Well, it, talking to a lot of friends, relatives, and people who are older than me, that's the key to happiness is to stay busy. and the one the once you stop that, then your mind just kind of goes. So I encourage you, please, don't stop. You're needed.
1: I'd be, I've i come of the opinion, both mentally and physically, that people, you know, the, they do a lot of that, oh, I'm getting old kind of thing. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't get old. They just quit. And then, you know, like a derelict car or like an old pickup truck on the farm in the back 40, it just rusts up, you know. Whereas if you uh, keep that preventive maintenance going, then you get a lot more mileage.
0: Yeah. Well, what was it, Danny Glover, when he was 42 or 44, said he was getting too old for this? In lethal weapon. Man, yeah. that's sad.
1: Yeah, I'm 50. I'm gonna I'm fixing to be 58 now.
0: Yep, you got 10 years on me. In one month.
2: Tanya. Hi, I'm Tanya Purdle and I work up at Utah State University. I work with the iSystem Institute. And I am the program coordinator for a program called GRIT, uh, Grounding Resilience Intelligence Training. And we work with first responders to do just that, to teach them how to ground, be resilient. And just kind of by intelligence, we mean just this ability to kind of think about your thinking, this ability to kind of, you know, uh, manage your thoughts and be able to be present in where you are. So, so yeah, that's, that's what I do. And I've been working with law enforcement, um, for the last, uh, four years or so, four to five years, and then, um, clinically. So in a therapeutic fashion for the last year and a half, and I've been training, just going around the state of Utah, just training and just trying to help law enforcement get out of their own way and realize they're not the problem and, you know, just help them do their job better. Yeah, yeah just support
0: one thing i remember about that that i really appreciated but the the course i went through with you was mm-hmm. the fact that the examples that we went through were personal and it wasn't going to this call or whatever okay what personally in your life is creating mm-hmm. okay now when you feel that when you're on the job how do you deal with this mm-hmm. and i thought that i thought that was that was nice as opposed to everything, everything's focused externally on this job. But what about with me? What about with me personally or at home yeah. or dealing with family stuff? Because yeah. ultimately that's to me way more important.
2: Well, and people forget that cops are people. Yes, they do. You, you guys are just humans like the rest of us, you know? And, and sometimes I think you guys forget you're just people.
0: It's true. Absolutely.
2: There's nothing superhuman necessarily. You're just normal people and you've got normal thoughts, just like the rest of us, normal problems and family and all the same stressors that the rest of us do. Plus you've just got an extra stressful job on top of it. So, so yeah, so I feel really privileged and honored to be just in the presence of law enforcement officers and being able to do what I do. Well,
0: and and it's right. I, and I can tell you from firsthand experience and and whatever's uh, that's it, it's it's appreciated that these types of services are available. Yeah, because as I said before, not everyone's paying attention to it, and it's something that needs it needs to be addressed.
2: Well, I, I do want to say that our legislature is paying attention to it because that's our program is funded completely by the legislature right now. We had a three-year grant; we're about a year and a half in. And we're just trying to reach as many law enforcement agencies across the state with this training. Um, it um, has been accepted by Post. It's been approved by Post for de-escalation training. So, um, so anyway, just helping helping departments out in as many ways as we can.
0: Yeah, good deal. Yeah, and support. S- yeah. Oh heck yeah. And, and so speaking of superhuman abilities and and people, we have Tim.
3: Yeah. So yeah, Tim Ramirez, I I work uh, for a law enforcement agency here locally where we're at, been in the same agency for 18 years. Uh, I'll just tell a little bit about my background. Tanya, by the way, didn't tell you all her background. She's got a lot of amazing things she's done with uh, other countries and things like that. So maybe she'll feed that in if she feels like it. But um, I've worked in uh, multiple areas of the, it's a sheriff's office I work for. I've done everything from uh, corrections to a lot of patrol, um, investigations, narcotics. Um, I've, I've been involved in training the majority of my career. I've also trained and taught at our local police academy for many years. Um, I currently am uh, and have been involved in SWAT for many years, and I've been at the command level of SWAT for a few years and have experience in that as well. But mainly I think today the the, the experience that I have um, that matters is I have been helping the I system institute teach in these classes um as a you know uh, as a person who's used their tools and has used it in use of force and has used it day to day in home life and things like that so that is the role that i i kind of feeling right now today with with tanya good so stuff. yeah so let's get into that
0: i system let's get uh, yeah how did it start who who determined yeah this is something we actually kind of need
2: well actually so my boss the director of the institute dr Derek tolufsen um the legislature came to him and said hey we want to support law enforcement and we know that what you're doing is really great this program that you have is really great so can you adapt it to law enforcement and he said absolutely and about that time i was entering graduate school and he knew I already had experience with law enforcement. I built um, relationships in our area, Tim being one of them. And so he said, hey, do you want to come on this project? And I said, yeah. So I've since graduated I'm a clinical social worker. I've been working clinically, like I said. But but yeah, that's just kind of how it got started. Our legislature really cares about this topic and um, decided to to put some money into it. And so here what we go. A,
0: what a strange concept. Since when does the legislature do anything positive, especially Today. for law enforcement?
2: Hey, I'm saying they care. They care. So, so yeah, so we're um, we're doing the best we can to get this out. Mm
0: -hmm. So what would you say is on the, on the most fundamental level, what is the, what is the goal?
2: The goal on, if I was just to have one big mission statement is to help law enforcement be more resilient, Mm -hmm. just to build that resilience, because in that I mean, I've never been a law enforcement officer, I've just worked with officers, but just in working with them in my office, and then just in training, and also on other projects, you you just see the toll that working with the public and the capacity that you all do takes on, on officers. And so that toll, you know, you've got that toll, and then you've got, you know, kids, and you've got, you know, families and aging parents. And, you know, okay, so an officer doesn't really make much money. So most of you have got two or three jobs. I think a lot of people don't know that, you know, what Chuck described about having two or three jobs, that's not uncommon. That's not just in retirement, right? Like a lot of you have two or three jobs. So, so I think a lot of the public doesn't often understand the toll that, that it takes on officers and in in other projects that I've worked on, I just really kind of got to know our officers and just, and you just have to have a heart to do this job. No, Nobody gets in it for the pay, right? You guys don't get in this for the money. So you really do have a heart to to really help communities and protect people. And um, it's just it's a great place to work. Yeah. Great group to work with. Yeah.
0: Tim, how have you seen it's affected you?
3: Well, I mean, first of all, I mean, in multiple areas, I, I find it everywhere, everywhere I look once I, once you really understand the concepts and maybe we'll have some time today to go over them, but, um, it, you really start to grasp that it's everywhere. It's in every human and every human reaction, uh, interaction, I should say. And it's, a, it's in every system. Um, one of the things that we talk about is that there's, there's, there's the system of the eye system that's Matt Lanfair. Then there's the system of that's the department he works for and the state he lives in and, the, and it goes on and on. And, and the, the these same principles apply to not only the way you are thinking, but ask how the agency's thinking about something or how a department or whatever. And, uh, I think that that's been huge because you can see it. You can see when there's conflict within the agency and realize and identify, put common language to things and have talk, talks with people that you're having those conflicts with and who understand that language. Um, as a supervisor, I use it all the time when I'm having to coach or deal with something that a complaint somebody's got on them, or you know, even when I'm dealing with the complaint who's got a complaint on an officer, I can see their thought patterns and the processes of why they're upset and empathize with them. I think that's one of the biggest things that first came along was I was able to really understand empathy for the first time. And uh, I don't know, Tanya, I think you, under- you know that story a little bit, but- It was, I always thought I understood empathy. I thought I had a grasp on it. I had a grasp on what the definition of it is, but I never really truly realized it when I said to myself, okay, I'm aware of my own anxieties and I'm actually truly aware of my own thoughts. And I don't have a problem getting out of them, but what if I was someone who couldn't? What if I was someone who felt anxious all the time? I have anxious feelings that come and go. And now that I'm aware of them, I can identify them. But what if I was a person that lived constantly in that state of mind? And that was kind of the first time I really started feeling empathy for uh, a true empathy and understanding it to a more truer level. That's just one little thing. Um, We can go into talking about what Chuck, when he gets back, you know, about how it applies to uh, for science and how it applies to all those things as well, because it's huge to understand how the mind is working and it's all the same because it is science and and their program is very much grounded in in that tanya do you have anything to add on that part there
2: um well so the iSystem system institute is the home of mind body bridging which is a therapeutic modality basically and and it works really well with law enforcement because um, it, you don't have to do a lot of talking and it's just you and your thoughts and working through, I mean, you, you experienced it, Matt, you know, it, you can really just do it without even telling me what's going on. Right. And so, so it really is good. And it's experiential in nature, you know, cops don't like to just sit and listen to a lecture and <laughs> none of us do. I don't even like to do that. So it's experiential in nature, but um, it really does kind of get at the heart of dysregulation. That's kind of what Tim's referring to this this inability to regulate your, your emotions, to regulate your behaviors, to, to, and to, to just kind of understand, okay, why am I doing what I'm doing? You know, uh, because, because often we just, we just do it and we don't even know why we don't know what's going on behind there. And this is just a really good tool to help officers to be able to identify, okay, I I'm anxious every time I go on a DV call. Why? Why? Right. And so we can, we can do what we call mapping and we can get to the bottom of that. We can kind of figure that out. Right. I'm, I'm maybe having trouble deciding if I want to go get a promotion, you know, if I want to go in for this promotion or not, we can sit down we can kind of map that out or, you know, just whatever is kind of going on in the mind and we can kind of get it out on paper and it's just an excellent tool for that. And I found it to be really useful for, for officers.
3: So yeah.
0: Matt, you go ahead and catch. Oh, I was, I was just going to say, I think it's important also for people listening or watching uh, to also understand this whole program. Yeah. This might be being provided for cops. That being said, it doesn't necessarily mean it is, this is a cop only concept.
2: Mm-mm. No, we, we do it in everywhere. The schools. We, yeah, we're doing it in the schools. We provide training for businesses. We um, I've done it overseas. I've worked in Bulgaria, I work in Haiti, um, just working with people who have suffered extreme trauma, complex developmental trauma, like serious, I feel like I'm going to die every day trauma and just witnessing the peace that it can bring to people living in those circumstances um, has really just invigorated me more and more to do this work. And particularly with law enforcement, I mean, law law enforcement in a lot of ways kind of has that same experience in that there's just sort of this hypervigilance, right? There's, there is absolutely this, you start just kind of think there's always on the lookout. We're always on the lookout. What's going on is there danger. And you kind of just start to live in this hypervigilant state and it moves from just your job to your whole life. And so being able to manage that is really key.
3: Tim, so what I was going to say was, uh, you were asking specifically in law enforcement. Um, I, I, there, I could go on and on and on, but one specific thing that I, I, I literally just kind of talked to someone about today was we're kind of talk. You ever talk about the gut feeling, right? A, a younger officer, they can't articulate why they did what they did. They just knew they felt like they should. This was eye opening when I could, I could point to that gut feeling and along with science, understand. Well, that's my limbic system telling me that it's picking up on clues that this is dangerous. And I don't have to analyze that in the moment when I'm dealing with a suspect, but when I feel that gut feeling, I know it, I'm having awareness of my body. I know that I'm feeling it for a reason. And as a trained officer, I know to now start doing the things that I need to do to pick up on the threat indicators. You know, an example would be, okay, I'm feeling not right. I'm feeling, you know, a young officer might say something like I felt hinky. I don't know why I felt hinky, but, I felt hinky. Well, now with this tool, I can say in the moment I'm feeling hinky. What should, what should I change about this situation? Well, I need to be paying attention to the hands. I need to maybe position myself in a better tactical advantage position instead of just sitting there feeling uncomfortable being an EVC, and, not, not, yeah. and, and not knowing why. And so you that's you can
2: move past it. You can move past it.
3: Yeah, sure. Because yeah, it's a and, distraction. Well, yeah. And yeah. Because you're being distracted by the feelings and you're not, a, you're not aware of what those feelings mean. Yep. And you, you start becoming internal, you know, using a, a for science term there and become internal and start thinking and about thinking. And you're, and really at that point, you should be, you should be realizing I feel this way because there's, there's a potential threat here. And I now, know that I need to move or I need to do something or I need to get behind cover. Maybe I shouldn't be standing here or something to that effect. And I view, yeah, yeah. It, it. That's just one little thing that this has made me much
1: better at. Chuck. So I was going to say that right along that same theme, I, I see so many people fall into that normalcy bias. Uh, you know, that little meme with the dog and he's surrounded by flame sitting. Everything's the- just fine this is fine. Everything's fine. Uh, and we will, you know, I, I talk about this in my civilian classes, my managing unknown contacts block when I'm talking about pre-assault indicators. Uh, I strongly suggest that, uh, all the, all the people I work with that then never done. So pick up the book gift of fear. Absolutely. Is, uh, Gavin Read that one. Yeah. eventually ladies will nice themselves polite themselves into being a victim of some sort of street crime Uh, and uh, that i I tell people if you get an older version of the book that part at the end about he's pushing for gun control you can kind of ignore that part (laughs) (laughs) but uh the rest the rest of it's solid information um there's some books like that that maybe i knew things back in the day but I, I didn't know how to how to like you know organize those thoughts or articulate it very well or anything like that that's that's for for anybody that's deeply into this uh, uh, gift of Fears, a book you want to read uh, another one you want to get is deadly force encounters uh, alexis art wall was uh, involved in that and lauren christensen that one I found out about from Masayu very early in my career when I was getting no training, no valid training whatsoever. Um, and we were just out there cowboying stuff in the 80s, uh, making kind of making it up as we went along. The, the only resources I had was uh, uh, Alexis Arwal's book and then the uh, Street Survival series. If you remember the old original Caliber Press, uh, I so have I've, the
3: 1978 version.
1: Yeah. Um, that, and I found an out of print copy of officer down code three with the, uh, that came out of California. Um, that one had the, uh, 10 deadly sins of law enforcement. If you look at that from, you know, and all the information in that one was late sixties, early seventies. And when you look at like new hall and some of the other incidents that occurred in law enforcement, where we had, uh, you know, really tragic incidents, the things that get cops killed are the exact same things that gets get cops killed. People think, you know, we've got computers, we've got this, that, we're such an advanced society. Uh, those human factors are exactly the same, exactly the same. So
3: along that topic, Chuck, I, I found this funny. So you mentioned the Caliber Pressbook. Uh, uh, one of our officers went to a training and they wanted to come teach this new tactic, and they were real excited about this newfangled thing. And I, I I'm looking at what he's showing me. and I'm like, I have seen that before. I know I've seen that before. And I pull open the, the book literally printed in 1978 and that tactic is being taught in that book. And it's, it's hilarious how we forget and we have to reinvent the will over and over again. But so I'm not on that right there. I wanted to mention that,
1: but that that's really valid. You know, some, like when I was working with the originally Ken good, uh, was one of the, the my mentors in the low light field, low light tactics field. And, uh, and one of the things he was teaching the first class I went to when it was the old original Surefire Institute, he was teaching a, a, he called it modified FBI, but the old FBI flashlight technique, where you got the flashlight away from your body. And I originally saw that in an FBI field manual. And it literally was like a hand-drawn illustration of an agent with a suit and a tie, and he's got his revolver and his flashlight out. And uh, when I first saw that in the 90s, I was like, man, that, that was like something from the 50s. That's, you know, it's, it's, you know, what, what are we doing here, right? And then contextually, uh, totally valid, cutting edge techniques, things like that. And a lot of the things that we think are, like weapon mounted lights predate World War II, uh, as an example. Um, you know, high visibility sites or some version of night sites well predate World War II. Uh, some of the things that we knew about gunfighting go all the way back into the cowboy days. And it's like we forget our history and then we have to find it again and rediscover it. Like that.
3: On that topic, Chuck. <clears throat> so that that is very much how I feel about this is we can go all the way back to the days of the samurai. And w- with the, they were thinking about thinking, right? They were paying attention to their thoughts very much so. And, and we have to get out of the, the mindset that therapy means there's something wrong with you. No, we need to be sharpening our tool. And our primary weapon is our mind. And, and Tanya is the one that gave me that, that when I told her the name of this podcast, she's like, oh, yeah, primary weapon. That's our mind. And, um, and, and that's the way you're talking about going back. You, warriors are the same as they were a thousand years ago, 2000 years ago, whatever, as they are today. And why do we have to reinvent the way they knew how to think? Trust me, you get in a sword fight with a samurai. They knew how to control their thoughts and keep their emotions in check and be able to focus on external threats and not be internal on their thought processes. So on that on that. Lee, that's absolutely correct. I agree with you hundred percent.
1: So if you go, one of the things I point out to people is a human, <laughs> humans have been humans for a very long time. If you look at, you know, if you look at the Bible, what, what got King David in trouble? He was like macking on somebody else's wife. Yeah. That's, that's straight up Jerry Springer stuff. Right. Also look- the mo- main reason why cops are fired. <laughs> that that's a big one. Um, And the other one that I was about to point out is, uh, you know, kind of, kind of pardon where I'm going with this. But if you look at the, a whole bunch of Greek mythology is Zeus saying, I'm going to go put my dick in that and everybody else going, that's a really bad idea. And then he's like, Oh, too late. I already did it. That that's literally, when you're talking about things that get cops in trouble, that right there, the, the exact same you know, if you look at the mythology, what the Greeks and the Romans did was ascribe all of these human factors to to the gods. You know, they were very, very human with, you know, supernatural powers that were attributed to them. But even a lot of their heroes, you know, uh, Hercules, you know, some of the some of the the problems uh that are described in this mythology are very human factors, where if you were to describe some of the some of what Hercules was, you know, the attributes that were, that were uh, described to Hercules. Um, you'd be like, man, that dude is horribly dysfunctional. Like if if that was a cop, we'd have to pull him off the street and we definitely need to get it, you know, get him some kind of help before we have some really negative incident, uh, that kind of thing. So these human factors are with us. They've always been with us. <clears throat> I think in some ways back in the olden days, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not a tremendous Grossman fan, but because I, I think a lot of the stuff he's written about is, uh, has been kind of debunked. But one of the things that he did point out was in the olden days before we had you know modern 24-hour warfare, you would typically stand to at dawn, have, have, your, have your battle. Win, lose, or draw. Anybody that survived you know, was around a campfire later that night and what'd you do? You sit around with your buds and you talked about what happened, you know, and then um, we have to just go home and shut it off. Right? Yeah. We, in fact, we tell people they can't do that. You know, we know it happens, but yeah, don't don't go around the, the campfire and sit around with your buddies and talk about what happened, which <laughs> yeah. it, it's a very, I think it's a very necessary process for people to be able to, Um, you know, start to the beginning process of dealing with what they just went through, Um, mentally processing, verbally, especially when you talk to people who have, you know, I don't know how many cops that I talked to went early in my career and a lot, there was still a bunch of guys that were left on the job who had been Vietnam vets. So, so the Vietnam, you know, when I talked to them, the Vietnam vets, when they came on the police work or when they, when they got in the military, uh, when they had to process, who did they talk to? The Korea and the World War II vets who were still around, you know? So warriors being able to talk to people who have been through similar experiences is a very important part of the processing thing that in, in modern times with like, you know, legalistic issues and things like that, we want to tell people you can't do that. And we, I think we desperately need to have some sort of outlet for that. So that's a lead in right into
3: peer support, right? That's the goal of peer support. And, you know, you bring in the fact that we were, they're told they can't talk. You get involved in an officer involved shooting. And the first person you're talking to on the phone is your attorney. He says, don't say anything. Don't talk to anybody. And your admin even says, don't tell me anything. Everything you say can, will be used against you. And so you're, you're very correct on the fact that you get told immediately within minutes after the incident, don't talk. And, um, you know, I think we're making huge leaps forward with peer support and systems that we're trying to put in place where they have that ability to talk to someone who does get it and it is confidential and they are allowed to, to speak their mind. And that's something we're absolutely working on with this program and, and Tanya's working with the peer support with our agency currently.
1: So one of the, uh, one of the things, that I, things that I found helped me out when I was uh, – because early on we had nothing. We didn't have peer support. Uh, guys drank too much, you know, the idea that you could do things like uh, weightlifting and uh, cardio to as stress relievers, things like that. Um, The uh, there were there were things that I wish that I knew or that I could access when I was early on the job. Uh, Like I was I was about three quarters through my career before I uh, heard about and eventually read uh, Gil Martin's book Force Under Pressure. Subtitle is uh, how cops live and why they die. And man, I really could have used that one early in my career because uh, uh, if, if you've read that, if you get to the chapter about um, assholes and the burnt, the, the burnout cop that's having a problem with, you know, everybody's an asshole uh, and everything is bullshit. I went, I went through that phase probably 10, 11 years into my career, and I really could have saved myself some grief knowing all of that before that, you know, that, that, that pitfall was there. Um, you know, I had uh, had a bad marriage, uh, a series of relationships. I was one of the, uh, the adrenaline junkies, the action oriented guys that Gil Martin talks about and uh, didn't have a lot of balance in my life. And what I actually saw a talk that he was doing right after I found out about that book and when he was talking about <clears throat> how many cops he talks to when, when they were doing some sort of like, I don't want to call it therapy, but let's, let's call it, let's go say he was, you know, having a talk with somebody who was having problems and he would ask him you know, what do you, what do you do? Like, do you hunt? Do you fish? Do you go camping? Do you go hiking? And so many of them are used to, well, I used to hunt I used to fish. I used to camp. Um, and I had one of my buddies is like, Hey man, we're going to go, we're going to go pheasant hunting, you know, in November, do you, you bird hunt? And I'm like, and I I was like, well, I used to, and I realized it had been 20 years since I'd gone bird hunting. Um, you know, so I'm like, you know what, I'm going to, I need, I need to break that cycle. So ended up taking a weekend off going pheasant hunting, quail hunting with my friends. And, uh, that's kind of good for your brain. Um, so that, that book, uh, things that I can recommend resources that people can do. And, you know, we know that cops don't always want to talk to people if they're having some kind of issue, but, uh, outside of reading gift of fear is a good idea and uh force under pressure being a very, very good idea. Deadly force encounters, um, being a very good idea. Um, I forgot where I was going with that. Um, well well, you you said a lot
3: of really great things there and, uh, that they used to And then I liked the, you know, when the cops go through every, everything's bullshit, everybody's a bunch of assholes. I think uh, that Tanya, I think you can it, chime in here if you feel like you can. I mean, that that's that's very, we can talk about where that is, where that's coming from and what that actually is and point to it and map it and say, okay, this is why those thoughts, what those thoughts are and give, start identifying and giving them names and explaining it. Tanya, can you explain that a little bit? Is that something that you feel? Yeah. Yeah. Let's, yeah, let's talk so, about those types of thoughts and what they're called and all that.
2: Yeah. So, um, well, just to introduce the I system. So I work with the I system Institute. The I stands for identity and what you talked about Chuck um, with regard to, you know, your identity when a lot of times when you become a cop and you've been a cop for a long time. And again, I'm not a cop, never been a cop, just work with them. But yeah. Um, it becomes your identity, right? This is who I am. This is what I'm about. And so then you start losing these other pieces of you. You know, you become kind of just in this box. And so what happens is when our sense of identity comes under attack, when our sense of self comes under attack, this idea of who we are that we've created comes under attack, what happens is that's when we start to get dysregulated. And that's when we start trying to make the world be what it should be so that our sense of self, our identity can be protected, right? So that's why you guys get so up in arms. 2020, when all of that went down, that was really impacted the identity system of law enforcement nationwide. Um, And then as individuals as well. I mean, I think every cop I was working with at the time was just really struggling and having a hard time with it. And so so what happens is the world should be this way, right? This is how it should be so that I can stay regulated so that I, as long as everything's how it should be, I'm going to be good. Well, when it doesn't go that way, we start to have these negative thoughts and they start to spin. Now, my experience with law enforcement is law enforcement likes to just push those away. We don't like to deal with those. We just like to go from it should be this way to I want to fix it to make it this way. Right. And so what you're just talking about is kind of this complaining. Everybody's an asshole. Everything's bullshit. Like this whole attitude that I'm not a very good cusser, by the way, I just (laughs) this attitude, right, that kind of starts to develop the cynicism that starts to develop becomes a fixer you know, for kind of this discomfort that, that we feel, we start to feel uncomfortable because all these negative thoughts about how things aren't, how they should be start just infiltrating our minds and, and our bodies, frankly, as we call it mind body bridging, we're bridging both the mind and the body and it, and it creates body tension and mind clutter, right? When we're not um, in a state where we can, where things aren't as they should be, it creates body tension and mind clutter for us. Um, and then we're in this kind of contracted state, right? We're not our full self right now. We're like not going hunting anymore. And we're, um, sitting around and watching TV, maybe more or whatever it might be. So we, but the fixer is what we do to try to make ourselves feel better. Right. How
3: does that make you feel better? That's, that's when I, when I started understanding, okay, so the fixer behavior and the fixer, well, the, 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 the behavior. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel good because this thing that attacked my identity that I didn't agree with, if I just say it's bullshit, that feels good, right? And why? Explain that.
2: Yeah, because um, let's just say somebody makes you feel like you're incompetent, right? Somebody makes you feel like I'm no good. I'm not a good cop. Well, then all these stories, you start to tell yourself stories. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be in this job. I'm not good enough, all that. But we skip over that sometimes and we just go straight to, well, that guy's an asshole or my administration's an asshole or, um, you know, it's the government or it's whatever blaming basically, or whatever, but it can be lots of different things. It can be lots of different things. But this idea of the fixer is we don't like being uncomfortable. And so the fixer comes in, this fixer and makes it in, feel
3: better. It, and it makes becomes you almost feel addicting. Better, right? You get a dopamine dump, you feel good about using that fixer behavior. But the truth is that fixer behavior leads you right back into those same thought processes that puts you right back into that spiral of Mm -hmm. the depressor thoughts of, and it doesn't actually, it's it's an illusion that it's fixed.
2: Yeah. I mean, just like you you can look at alcohol as a fixer, right? In the moment I just need to escape. I just need to get rid of this, uh, this feeling, you know, I need to just get rid of it. And so I'm just going to drink. Well, then all it does is really kind of make it worse. So fixer behaviors very often just don't, they don't really fix anything, but they fix the temporary
0: Discomfort discomfort
2: for the moment. Yeah.
0: So if that's the case, would it make sense for us cops to not just have friends that are cops and actually have friends that are doing other things right? for us to see the world and all that kind of stuff and not just focus on this, our own little existence.
2: Well, because, because you're more than a cop. Yeah. As I, as I kind of started off with you guys are just people, right? but we all kind of just build this identity of this is who I am and that's it. And anything that's outside of that, Whoa, I don't, I don't, I'm not, it's comfortable not for me with that. Yeah, Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think you're absolutely right. The more you can just like, yeah, I'm a cop and I'm this and I'm this and I'm this and, and I can be and friends things.
0: with people that aren't cops.
2: Yeah. Amazing. Of course.
3: The of
0: course. Trans- why not? But
3: why is that so hard? why is that so hard to be friends with people who aren't cops? And for me, I can give you my experience is because a lot of times it would trigger my, my dysregulation because you'd be talking to this guy and he would say, well, what do you think about, you know, that guy that got killed by the cops. And then you would start hearing them say things that are just like what the media is saying. And then bam, I go straight to that. This guy's a fucking idiot. Or, or I go, this is bullshit. And so then I am go right. And then I don't want to be friends with that guy. Cause he's dysregulating me and making me uncomfortable. I want to go talk to Chuck because Chuck's going to agree with me. That's bullshit. And we're not going to talk about that kind of crap. So it's I mean, like, for me, it's like sticking your head in the sand. Yeah. Yeah. Because it makes me feel uncomfortable to have to, yeah. uh, it, to try to deal with that thing. That's the thing that's bugging me. So why would I put those subject myself to people who talk about that or who or don't understand, they don't, don't, they don't get yeah. what I do. Yeah. And so that, I think that's the trap we fall into is it comes much easier and much more comfortable to just be around cops. Yeah.
1: Chuck. I was going to say, if you're a high action dude, all the high action guys I know got into specialty units, narcs, night shift cops, like you could chase bad guys at three o'clock in the morning, but the problem is every day you go to work, the only people that are out at like three, four o'clock in the morning are like the paper guy, the guy going to the donut shop to go to work, the trash man, and then like criminals, you know, burglars are out, car burglars, house burglars, arm robbers, you know, dopers, stuff like that. So when 90% of the people you deal with on a day-to-day basis every night when you go to work are all some sort of scumbag, you know, some sort of criminal. They're stealing stuff, selling dope, scoring dope, prostitutes, et cetera, et cetera. Gives you a real skewed view of humanity. Um, You know, when we're talking about normal people, I can't tell. People are like, well, tell me uh, like a good cop story or tell me like what's the worst thing you ever saw. I can't tell you that. Like if, if we're, at a, if we're at a party or something with normal people, I could just crash the whole party right now. Like what's the worst thing you ever seen? You, you don't want to, I've got bodies in my head that you don't want to, you don't want to see. You don't want to see what's in my head. Um, People and what ask I think, social workers the funny, same thing by the way. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> and what I think is funny, you're not going to think is funny either.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, so, um, you know, things that I, when we're, we were talking earlier about the way the world's supposed to be and things like that, uh, I think I get a head start on some people with, you know, the, the parents that I had. You know, my dad was a Korean War v- vet and been to Vietnam three times, was was an orphan in the, uh, in the Depression, you know, grew up in an orphanage, uh, lied about his age, went to Korea and then did three tours of Vietnam. My mom was German. So she was born in December, 1939. Uh, What do you, what do you think the first six years of her life were like? Yeah. Trauma. Lots of trauma. I could complain about, you know, it was raining at the bus stop while I was waiting to go to school and she could tell me about her village being hit by off target 500 pound bombs, you know? Uh So my way it's supposed to be is, you know, was, was a little bit different than a lot of people's, but I still fell into that and I'm i I'm more like fall into a logic kind of, kind of a, a, like, like mindset. So I would look at people, you know, cause nowadays it's a big, it's a big insult to be like, you know, hurt your, it's all about your feelings and things like that. And people need safe spaces. And we talk about that sort of thing. <clears throat> um, but pre for science, I was a privilege to, uh, and and really lucky to train with uh, Dr. Lewinsky and Dr. Artwall before they even had a for Science Institute. They were given classes in like Sioux City, Iowa, a couple other places, and I uh, so i i know i caused a lot of conflict because i had kind of this like mr spock version of like how people should react like they shouldn't think that way this is the logical you look at this this is logical everybody should get it so you're stupid if you don't right and uh so i'm literally having barbecue with uh dr Artwall. and i think she's a smart lady she kind of clued me in to like hey you, you need to get a clue in this area and uh, she told me to read uh, Descartes error uh, about the, the idea that instead of us being logical beings capable of emotion we're emotional beings that have evolved the capability of logic. Right. Yeah. And that, that was kind of an epiphany for me. Uh, so I'm glad I had I'm glad, I, glad I had barbecue with a very smart lady one night <clears throat> and, uh, That was like an epiphany in me dealing, getting some sort of emotional intelligence with other people Uh, is a big problem when police work is, is that (laughs) I, I used to tell all my new guys that why do the cops, a whole bunch of why the cops get called is people can't adult for themselves. So, hey, we're having this problem over here. We need some advanced adulting to occur and we're going to have to outsource our adulting because we can't do it for ourselves right now. So you have to show up and and adult for other people. Uh, So, you know, there's that meme, like the, 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 the kittens upside down It says, I can't adult today. There's a whole lot of people that don't adult real well. So that that's a whole lot of what, what the cops have to do. And then, you know, you realize that it, it's not, it's not that it's not supposed to, you, people think, oh, it's not supposed to be this way. People should, well, mm-hmm. if people did what they should, we wouldn't need cops. We'd all live at peace in a warm climate, you know? Uh, but that that's not- that's The not, world
2: isn't as it should be. No, it, it isn't. isn't and the more a- we can accept that and the more we can start working within that world, the more, re- the more adult we're going to be able to be right? When, when we go out and help other people adult.
1: So uh, one one of the other things that uh, hit me partially through my career, and it seems kind of silly because it was an action comedy um, called running scared, Billy Crystal, Gregory Hines, whoever was involved in that show was a veteran cop with some brains. And there was this one part in the movie where uh, Billy Crystal, Gregory Hines are having a stakeout and Billy Crystal wants to quit Leave early, cash in his retirement, go buy a bar in the Florida Keys, something like that. And uh, Gregory Hines is like, "Man, you you got the wrong attitude." He's like, "Man, we lock these guys up, and then that, you know, we we never get anywhere. We lock we lock up one bad guy, and there's another bad guy tomorrow." And as they're talking, they see the the dumpster truck shows up, and he goes, "Listen does the does the trash man get discouraged because?" Every day he picks up the dumpster, he dumps the trash. He comes back the next day, the trash is full. He has to dump the trash again. He's not like, you know, oh my God, I gotta go get drunk because the the trash is full again. He goes, he just, he just, he does what he has to do, right? So uh, and then then he asked him, he goes, what would happen if the guy did not show up one day? He's like, Man, I can't dump the trash anymore. What would happen? The city would be buried in trash. And that was like a really profound chunk of like movie philosophy that came out that uh that that's i i tell baby cops to go find that movie and watch that one because there's a lot of good stuff in that one what's the name of that movie again running scared running scared it's billy
3: behind your age tim yeah Yeah. absolutely i'm 41 i guess i'm still too young for that (laughs) and based in chicago
0: Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly
1: was yeah. they, were, they were Chicago For a
2: long time.
1: So I'm going to have to bail out and uh, I guess I'll be leaving you guys with uh, a movie recommendation.
0: There you go. Uh, and before you do, where can people find you online and all that other kind of stuff?
1: Uh, agile tactical.com all one words, agile training and consulting i got some training coming up. I've got some uh, pistol classes and some street encounter skills classes in Omaha, Nebraska next. And then uh, after that, I'm down in Nashville, Tennessee. And then I'll be in uh, in uh, more towards your side of the country, Matt, doing revolver roundup. In, right. uh, at, at the famed Gunsight Academy in November. So that's my next three gigs that I've got coming up. Cool.
0: So I, I don't know about you, but I think maybe we need to have more... Episodes talking about this kind of stuff—it's kind of important.
1: This could—I could sit here and listen and talk about this, and this could easily be another one of those four-hour episodes.
0: That, that means it can be a, a four-episode series, if not more. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for jo- for joining us.
1: My pleasure. Good to meet you guys. Yeah, thanks,
0: yeah,
2: good good to to Chuck. Chuck.
0: Okay, so as soon as he logs off, we can make fun of him.
3: <laughs> um.
2: Yeah, he said
3: he said something about the garbage man that that yeah. he would have he would have agreed with this, but he had to go. Is it isn't it funny? And Matt, you can relate to this. Is when you're young, you like that. You 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 glad you're glad. You want crime to happen. You 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 don't want the garbage to go away. It's what keeps you busy. You're looking forward to that. I want quality. those and calls. Then, yeah, yeah. And so and it's funny as you 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 go move on in your career, that starts to become this negative thing that you want to go away, but you forget that that's why you're doing this is because that there is that garbage is to be taken out and you're good at it. And you're, you're the, you're the guy that should be taking that garbage out. Now that and, being, that being said
0: um, in, because I'm so old, um, I am at the point though, where when those hot calls come out and the younger officers are all jumping, you guys go and do that. You go enjoy that. It will be fun. And I will be happy to help you. I'll go take it if you want, but Go. Go enjoy that because it's a, it is a good time and it can be exciting, but I don't necessarily have to go unless I'm needed.
3: <laughs> well, but talking about more episodes. Yeah. I mean, we didn't really get into the, the points of the eye the system. I think for oh, sure. we can continue. Been, we can continue as well, but I think it absolutely would be appropriate for us to break it down. I don't know how much more time uh, you had planned for this Tanya, but I, I have more time.
2: Yeah, I'm good.
3: I think it would be good to start with maybe explaining just how we do when we teach other agencies, let's start and explain some parts of it and how it works and the actual meat and potatoes. Actually, I was thinking before we go there, because that is going to be absolutely
0: paramount what about officers outside of the state? And are there any similar processes or uh, uh, resources available? Or is this something that you could absolutely do like uh, do Zoom conferences?
2: I don't know about Zoom, but I'd certainly go there. Um, The Drug Task Force, um, we're kind of working on a deal with them to maybe go um, in some of the Western states and do some training with them. Yeah. So, um, I mean, we just want to get this in the hands of as many people as possible, but in particular, law enforcement, you know, and just our first responders. Yeah. So anywhere, I mean, we'll go anywhere.
3: Yeah. And you'll find this doesn't contradict or, or contradict anything on the science level, it goes along with all the modalities out there. You'll find that it's related to all the philosophies. You'll start seeing it everywhere and everything. And it's not something that's a, some sort of fancy special tool that we invented. It's it's uh, it's a it's the way the human mind works and, and understanding that this is how it works.
2: Yeah, it's just a really simple model for how our mind, you know, our We've got our thoughts and our thoughts affect our behavior. And it's just a a simple model for understanding that and taking it to the individual and, and to a system. Right. And okay. What thoughts do you have that are affecting what's happening and just being able to identify those and, and, and identify the behaviors and, and are the behaviors helpful? Or are they not helpful? Yeah. Are they? So we, we kind of talk about two states of functioning, right? So we have this constricted eye system functioning state that I talked about earlier, where we're full of body tension, mind clutter, things aren't as they should be. And I'm kind of racking my brain and, you know, all sorts of thoughts about how I can make them what they should be. And, you know, we, what happens is we tend to, okay, this disassociation takes place, right? So now my mind is over there and my body is here and you can see why in law enforcement, that's a really important thing to not happen, right? You need to be fully present mind and body in the same place so that you can completely be, um, your best judgment for the moment, you know? Um, but, but anyway, so we've got that eye system functioning, it's that constricted state Um, And we've all felt it. I mean, we've all felt our identity system. It's just when you feel butterflies before you go up and do something, when you're, you know, when you're nervous, when your shoulders kind of tense up or, you know, your head just feels like, oh, I just can't think, you know, we we've all felt it. And we all know I'm not functioning at full capacity in this moment. But what we don't know is how to rest that and how to how to move that out of the way and understand that. I'm not the problem, right? I'm not the problem. This identity system is the problem. And if I can just rest that and I can come and I can be who I naturally am as a person and get rid of all of that, trying to fix everything and trying to get rid of, you know, figuring out how to make everything as it should be because it's just not. (laughs) Um, And if I can just get to this point where you know I can just be who I naturally am. It really is powerful. So I don't know if that's Tim, did you want me to kind of go any further with that or I've got a dump truck outside my you're you're on mute, Tim.
0: There was a years ago there used to be a drinking game where people would listen along and anytime someone was muted and started talking, that was a time to take a drink.
2: <laughs> All right. Well, Tim, you take two or three now, four, five.
3: I don't know why six. I did that. It, it did on its own. So, so
2: yeah, yeah, I, I it kind of felt like you wanted to kind of chime in, but, but yeah. So we just talked about these two states of functioning and our goal is to kind of move people toward this natural functioning where, and we've all felt natural functioning too, right? Like we all know, and we're just being who we are. we're just in the moment. And I'm just, most of the time sports, it's really easy to identify it when you're just playing your game. Right. And you're just moving and you're just in the moment. You know, I, yeah, I miss a shot. Hey, you know what? Keep going. And I don't let it just distract me. I don't let it get me down. Ref makes a bad call. I just keep going. Right. I can just keep moving with it. I know how to let that stuff go and I know how to just keep moving forward. And, and that's really what natural functioning is like. And we all, You know, we just, the eye system gets in the way, this overactive eye system, identity system gets in the way of us being able to do that. And so, yeah, if we can teach these tools and help people get a handle on it, it really goes a long way. it's gone a long way just personally for me.
0: That kind of reminds me of being at the range, whether it's teaching a class or conducting a qualification where an officer has to take a specific shot. And if they miss they might shoot a little faster to make up for it and then oh they missed again now we're going to shoot faster and shoot faster mm-hmm. and all yeah. of a sudden we're doing this downward spiral trying stop, to fix it
2: trying to fix take it take a
0: breath go back go back to let's let's find that sight picture and and let's let's have a good grip and and a good trigger press and then we can hit but it takes that it takes a mental reset to stop and realize oh wait a minute i'm messing up big time okay stop breathe, realize what I'm doing. There's the shot. Okay. Now I can continue.
2: And what yeah, you be- just described is what poor science calls. And I'm, i might get it wrong, but that inward versus outward focus, what's it called?
3: What did- internal and versus external. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Internal versus external focus. Right. So this internal focus What's what's happening as you're shooting and trying to fix your shooting is all of these stories are going on in the back of your mind. Like, oh, man, I'm not good enough. What's going to happen if I miss in in an actual situation? And, you know, I mean, it could be whatever. I mean, everybody's got their own storylines that they kind of say. But all of that's kind of going on in the background and it's impacting what's actually happening in the moment. Right. And so what we need to do is we need to rest all of that. Yeah. And, and you described it beautifully. You just stop and you just take a breath. And what's even more powerful is if you can stop, take a breath, identify those thoughts that are holding you back, label them. That's just thought. I'm going to mess this up on scene. That's just a thought. And then you don't let that keep spinning in the background. You, you learn skills to be able to identify them and you learn skills to be able to, to keep them on track so that they don't kind of just get you derailed for the rest of the day. So right. if I,
0: so, under, oh, so if no, I understand I'm, it correctly, what you're mm-hmm. saying is this process isn't necessarily just shooting, isn't necessarily just cop stuff. It's I'm just, re, just reiterating. Yeah. Cause it's yeah, so It applies to yeah, I mean, they,
2: It's life. I, I, it's, I mean, yeah. your kid, right? Your kid, yeah. uh, let's see, you've got a two-year-old. I'm, yeah. I'm, Babysitting my daughter's two year old today, my granddaughter today. Whew, man, yeah. it, right? I mean, they can do all kinds of things that can get me lit up. And now all of a sudden I've I flipped my lid and I'm mad and I'm not responding in the way that I should respond. Downward right? spiral. That's how child abuse ab- happened. Yeah. But, you know, that's, <laughs> we can see how all kinds of things happen when, when we start getting this inward focus. It's all about me and these storylines get to playing. And now I'm not, me anymore i'm not acting at full capacity and so our goal is just to help officers be them just be you right you don't have to overcompensate you don't have to be any more than who you naturally are and just get them into that state of natural functioning versus this i system where there's something to prove and i got to be good enough and i gotta you're already good enough you're already good enough just just keep moving forward just keep moving forward. Right. It's in natural functioning. It's just this constant state of improvement. And so that's, so, that's, that's our goal.
3: So what we always want to make sure people understand is, is just because those are just thoughts doesn't mean we can make them go away. They're, they're not going to go away. And and the way that you could kind of look at this is I'll give a kind of a quick story, Let's just make this up on the fly. Let's say you, you, you get in a car wreck and let's say you get injured And there's going to be, there's going to be physical pain. You're going to have pain from the seatbelt or or hitting the steering wheel or something to that effect. And that's real pain. You're not going to make that go away. You can't just wish that away. That's going to be there. Then you're going to have another pain. You're going to be realizing, Oh, no, my car's totaled. And now I have to deal with this, this part. But then there's the third one. That's, that's the completely unnecessary. That's the suffering on suffering. It's the, Oh, what will people think about me? What, what will, Oh, I feel so stupid. I'm so embarrassed that I got on this wreck and all right on main street. How many people saw me do this? Am I going to end up on YouTube? And thus the unnecessary thoughts where you're adding the suffering on top of suffering. And when you're talking about like shooting on the range and you start, people start doing that. That's, that's essentially what they're doing is, yeah, they did miss the shot. You can't change that. And maybe they might miss their qualification. That's not going to change. That's, that's real suffering but the, the, the thought of how stupid do I look or what does that guy think about me now that I'm not going to pass this call, I'm going to have to retake it. Those are the unnecessary thoughts that are pushing you to be internal and that it's not helpful in the moment. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. So that's, that's kind of what we work with. And we, we do it individually in sessions with officers, but then, you know, with, with the trainings that we do as well, we, I mean, it takes a while to kind of really grasp the concepts. It takes a few, few trainings. I mean, just, Matt, you, well, you that, went through a training.
3: Yeah. And yeah. And the, that third level layer of thought that I'm I'm referring to, it, it's not easy to just immediately get rid of. It's been with you for a long period of your life all of your life, in fact. And, and the first time you started feeling that those thoughts of shame or embarrassment or those types of things, or what people think about me, but those are all thoughts about your identity and, they're usually all lies. And when you start to realize that, Oh, I'm making all this up. And, and yeah, Matt might think that I'm, I'm silly for missing that shot, but really he's actually probably thinking about who he needs to text or the next podcast. He needs to set up. It's true. And I'm, and I'm sitting living at <laughs> what gun am I going to buy? <laughs> yeah, I'm living in misery at the range because Matt's my instructor, and I'm thinking he's going to think I'm so stupid. And the reality is I don't know what Matt's thinking, and it doesn't do me any good to make all these assumptions about that and cause all this unnecessary suffering.
2: And it's taking you away from the moment, and it's actually the moment. shooting correctly, right? taking you out of the moment.
3: So what the system
0: is, is it's acknowledging and accepting these thoughts are going to occur. And we need to be be able to identify them, so we respond accordingly, and not just go again into this downward spiral where they're just right. going to build on build on each other and make right. it worse and worse and worse. Well,
2: because well, the the problem is this: they're just they're operating just shy of your awareness, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Like 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 you don't really and and the work that we do is we have you put it all down there. So now we're raising awareness about what we're actually trying to manage and what's actually happening. And so, so when we can kind of get it all down, it really makes a big difference in being able to manage it. So, yeah.
0: What a weird concept.
2: Well, it's, it's like Tim was saying earlier, it's not new. You know, it's not new, but it's not thought,
0: but people don't talk about it all the time, unfortunately. Well,
2: and and law enforcement doesn't talk about it. Oh, we don't talk about anything. (laughs) No, you guys talk about lots of stuff.
3: Yeah, What is is this crazy voodoo thing? You want me to pay attention to my feelings and my emotions. Yeah, that's bullshit. Let's just go, let's just go run someone. Well, well, you can can pay attention to it
2: or not pay attention to it, but regardless of whether or not you're paying attention to it, it's there. It's there and it's running your life. And let's just be honest, guys, cops are dying at a rate of four to one suicide versus in the line of duty. And so when those thoughts overtake and they spin and spin and spin, it's real, it's real and it can really have an impact. So all of that's there and whether you want to deal with it or not, it doesn't make it go away well it's still it, there
0: yeah and and the just the, still the nature around. oh absolutely and the just the pure nature of what we do as as cops police officers whatever okay we're helping people adult the better we understand these techniques we can also apply this and explain it to some of the people we respond to and explain you to them. It. look yeah it's in your head
2: Well, well, here's the deal. You can't, you can't regulate someone else Mm -hmm. if you're not regulated. So that's why this really works well as a de-escalation training, right? Because the more you can learn how to regulate yourself, the more you can regulate others.
3: And if I can recognize that I'm dysregulating somebody, then I can change my behavior. Yes. I can realize that, that, that okay. I, I don't, it doesn't matter if my presence is upsetting this person. It is upsetting this person. Right. You're going to have to be and there too. I'm going to have you to can't go around there. it. So I can't start making should statements about, well, they shouldn't get so upset when the cops show up. Well, they are upset that the cops have shown up. What can I do to maybe modify this now situation? What? Now what? Now what can I do to change this? Versus me just being stubborn within my own identity and saying, screw them, they need to get over it. And I'm here and this is, we're going to be dealing with this. Well, if I'm trying to de escalate the situation, now I'm going to just continue to escalate and not recognize that whatever it is I'm doing could, if I can change safely, If I can change my behavior safely without compromising tactics or or safety, I should. And if I can recognize that, it may escalate the situation. It may not. But if I'm not doing anything, then I'm just letting it continue to escalate.
0: What do you mean you're not going to listen? I'm the police. I have authority. You will listen to me.
2: All identity, all shoulds, all trying to make it, all trying to fix it, right? So another piece of all of this too is, um, so we've talked a lot about the metacognitive piece, which is that just thinking about your thinking, right? So we've talked a lot about that so far, but there's also this piece of this present moment awareness. So learning how to really bring yourself into the present moment and get kind of do that kind of obtain more of that outward focus, right? Um, Where I'm here and I'm not all inward in my thinking. I'm outward in my thinking and I'm present and I have, I'm actually aware of the reality and what's actually happening instead of maybe what I think should be happening or what I think, as Tim was kind of alluding to, what other people think might be happening, or you know, what's actually happening, and and being able to put myself in that moment. So that's another skill that we teach is just this ability to bring yourself into the present moment, too. That that grounding, that's that grounding piece. We call it grit. So that there's that grounding piece.
0: Now, part of the, and this is this might be a tangent. Something that I've noticed that has increased let's see here. What does it increase? It made my life better. When I'm at work, I need to stop focusing on oh, the weekend weekends coming weekend and live now and stop mm-hmm. thinking. And then I'm at the weekend. Hey, what? You, as, as, today's one of my days off. I go back about to work? work tomorrow and now, Oh, I have to go back to work and I'm no longer enjoying this time off, yeah. but also at the same time, I'm not enjoying my time at work because despite what people say, it is possible to be at work and enjoy that time but i'm told no we have to we have to focus on that weekend that's a, that's the most important thing so just always looking forward but mm-hmm. never looking where i'm at yeah is that part of it
2: oh 100% okay. yeah okay. you do totally have it i mean and think about it for a second i mean this is getting a little existential maybe but when you, when you think about it right now is the all we really have the past does not exist yep the future does not exist The only thing that actually exists is this moment.
0: Everything else is in my mind.
2: Right. Yeah. Everything else you've just kind of created. (laughs) Right. I mean, and we don't always remember the past correctly and we can't predict or control it. We can't control either of those. The only thing we can control is right now. So not only that, that's a big piece of it.
3: Yeah. And when you're future casting on the weekend, And you have these big plans for this big fishing trip you're going to go on and you're visualizing and thinking about how wonderful this is going to be. You're setting yourself up for disappointment because what if you go out on that fishing trip and and it isn't so great or something doesn't happen that you thought was going to happen. You didn't catch any fish, or you got a flat tire on the way there. You are now triggering all these requirements that you made about how this fishing trip was supposed to be like. And you're setting yourself up to be dysregulated back into those negative thoughts about, well, we were supposed to have such a good time in this tradition. now it's all gone to hell. And instead of living in the moment of, well, it is what it is. The flat tire did happen. I didn't I'm not catching fish right now. That's what's happening, but that's fine. And I'm, I'm going to be okay with that. And that that's huge because when you start casting up about what something you expect something to be like, you're making a whole bunch of requirements of should statements about how it's supposed to be. And then when it doesn't happen the way it's supposed to happen, you're now going to be spiraling into those negative thought patterns. And that's, that's quite different also
0: than making, basically making an itinerary for yourself. That's, that's setting up an expectation, which that's, that's, we don't want to do that. We want to set up, okay, this is what I plan on doing. This is not what has to happen. This is what I'd like to have.
2: And that's resilience, right? I mean, when you really just look at it, that's resilience, this ability to something didn't go the way I wanted it to go. You know, it's not how it should be. It's not how it's supposed to be. And I now have the capacity to be able to regulate myself within that reality. So, I mean, that's, that's resilience. You know, I can go through hard things and I can come back from it. I mean, it certainly doesn't mean, Hey, hard things aren't going to happen anymore. (laughs) right? It's just going to give you tools to be able to manage when hard, when hard things do happen because they will.
0: So then with that in mind, what's the difference between someone who is completely, they're completely clueless to any of this stuff and a two-year-old.
2: Ooh, that's such a good question. So a, a two-year-old, I would say, is a little bit more natural functioning, right? So my granddaughter, I use this example when my granddaughter first learned to walk, right? She's she's just doing the next thing. Nobody had to tell her, hey, it's time to walk now. You know, you're a year old. It's time to walk. No, she's just naturally doing it. She's just naturally going to move forward, right? She's just, and, and and when she fell, when she's learning to walk and she fell, guess what? She didn't sit there and go, I'm a failure. Oh, man, all these people. <laughs> oh, oh grandma's going to think I look so dumb. She's going to think I'm so dumb. Because that's She's what grandmas do. going to love me. Right? <laughs> no, she just like got back up and kept going. And if it hurt, she would cry, right? And then get back going, right? So because, you know, she doesn't have this big identity system yet. Like she hasn't developed all these shoulds about how the world should be. She hasn't developed all these things to protect herself and, you know, all these fixers right to or we could make, call the uh, condition better
3: she hasn't had these adults conditioned yeah her mind yet. yeah yeah
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah and so i would say a two-year-old is a little bit i mean despite all of the you know torment that they might bring they're a little bit more natural functioning than you or i probably am because they're just going about their day living in the moment just day to day they're not thinking about tomorrow they're not thinking about Oh man, I'm gonna have to take a nap in an hour. You know, they're not thinking about what's for dinner. They're just like, I'm hungry, I'm gonna cry. Right? It's the moment. It's so,
0: the moment. So what you're saying is we need to be more like two-year-olds.
2: Right, absolutely. We're diapers. <laughs> for, for sure. That,
3: well, Matt I think you might already be a lot further there. I'm <laughs> hey. I'm I am so there. You
1: have a Are lot, you lot of Yes.
3: He still likes to play with
0: his toys all day. Yes. Well, my wife says I'm like a teenager. Is that close?
3: No. No. No.
2: <laughs> Depends on the teenager.
3: <laughs> now So I yeah, think it's the, interesting. I think it's interesting to where you were going with that, with the conditioned mind, right? because uh, that's that's what trauma essentially is, right? And so when when you experience trauma as a law enforcement officer, meaning anything that's big, right? Any sort of big moment, the first time you you have to deal with a dead body, or the first time you have to deal with. Uh, some sort of a major use of force type issue, or the first time you get hurt or injured, those are all levels of different levels of trauma that are formulating these neural pathways that we don't want to just happen on their own. Okay. We don't want that to go on autopilot. Mm. We want to be aware of how they're formulating those pathways and and what they're doing and how it's affecting us and be able to catch those things from just running nonstop in the background and controlling all of our, thought processes does that make
0: sense absolutely it's interesting also the how you just described it because it's not necessarily stuff that is happening directly to us it's us responding to other people's trauma that uh, that negatively affects us
3: you're right and we're not and we're not aware of how that affects how our wiring goes then it's going to wire it's going to wire on it, whether you're aware of it or not and if you allow that to happen just on its own in the background, then it's just going to do whatever it wants to do and whatever it thinks is best for the protecting the system. And that's why it builds such a strong identity around being a cop because the whole identity is it's protecting itself. Its role yeah. is to protect itself yeah. and to protect its identity.
0: And for those of you, again, if you're watching or listening, this isn't necessarily just for cops, just so you know.
2: Nope, it's because it's humans
0: i was just gonna say it's ems and that's all just ems fire cops that's all no one yeah. else no one else experiences <laughs> stress ever
2: no i i also Ooh. work with um sexual assault survivors on campus yeah. at utah state so work with lots of trauma like i said i've taught this in haiti i've taught it in bulgaria with people who work with people who've endured trauma um it it's very trauma-informed. There's been lots of research that, um, up at the U, um, with regard to veterans, military veterans, and, um, just helping with symptoms of PTSD, helping with insomnia, you know, sleep is just really hard when you live in the state of hypervigilance, sleep becomes quite challenging. And so, so, um, mind-body bridging that type of research has been done with active duty military, it's helped with insomnia. It's been shown to help with insomnia. So so there's some research behind all of this. There's a lot more research than that, but that's what I think pertains in particular to law enforcement.
0: So in your guys' experience, understanding, and observations, whatever's, would you say hypervigilance isn't necessarily a bad thing as long as you're aware of it and you're able to control your reaction to things?
2: So hypervigilance is important when it's needed, mm-hmm. when I'm sleeping, I don't need to be hypervigilant. It's time to sleep. Yep. Right. But if I'm going on a DV call, that's the time to be hypervigilant. Right. So that, that goes back to this being in the moment. So it's not that hypervigilance is a bad thing. It just serves a purpose. Yep. And so let's bring it online when I need it, but let's take it offline when I don't need it.
0: Are there methods to allow people to unplug because Again, as a cop, hey, always have a firearm. Always I'm looking. My back's always to the wall when I'm at the restaurant mm-hmm. and all this other stuff. Do I have to do that? Can I relax? Can I go to Disneyland and enjoy myself?
2: It's possible. So, I believe it's possible. What do you absolutely. think,
3: Absolutely. Oh, that's such a good question. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yes. How do you guys explain I, that to people? So for me, I think it's about having balance with all the key things, especially sleep being the number one. Um, if you're not getting proper amounts of sleep, there's plenty of studies we go on and on. You can listen to a lot people that are a lot smarter than me talk about how important it is for you to be getting into a REM cycle and how that's your body's way of, of cashing out all of those toxins and all of those thoughts. And if you're, you've got to start there. When I go to Disneyland, I, I am very aware of my surroundings, but I also know that that's taking a toll and that I'm going to have to go back to the hotel room and put myself into a position where I'm not hypervigilant. And if I don't get sleep that night, it's going to be worse the next day. If I do four days at Disneyland and I'm sleeping two hours a night, that's going to be not good. Right. So I, 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 I do believe that it's important for cops to be aware. We carry guns everywhere we go. You should be looking at the exits, looking at the you know potential threats and you're not going to stop. You're not going to shut that off. And I, I but if you're aware that, when I'm sitting at my house hanging out with my family, now I do need to learn how to shut this off because this is my time to decompress that hypervigilance. Hi- hypervigilance, in my way, and with my mind, is the way I understand that, especially when it comes to um, you know P- P-T-H- uh, PTSD as a disorder, is when it doesn't shut off. Mm-hmm when it just continually goes and it starts interrupting sleep and any loud bump in the night gets you pulling out a shotgun from your bed. Yeah. And and that's where you're talking about it to be a disorder. And 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 I think Tanya has more of of credentials to, to talk on this, but I, to me, I think it's important for cops to be vigilant, especially if I'm carrying a gun, especially if I'm in an area where I may have to act, but it, it's not a disorder until it's completely encompassing my entire existence.
0: So when you're exactly. in that restaurant, yeah. So when you're in that restaurant and you are just staring at the door,
2: yes. there's an
3: issue.
1: Uh,
2: but if I walk in, there's different levels of it, right? Uh, right, I-
3: right. Go ahead, Tanya.
2: Yeah. So if we're talking disorder, you know, just talking disassociation is a disorder. That's completely different than. Okay, so I'm a little bit not present right now, right? So disassociation is kind of this. My mind is here. My body's here. Um, and I'm, I feel disconnected from my body and you maybe in your work have experienced that at one point that, okay, I'm kind of looking at myself doing something I'm completely disconnected from my body. So that's, that's, you know, a larger picture. So what we're talking about is just kind of this day to day, okay, what's going on in the background and playing so that my mind is now here and my body is here and I'm not fully present and paying attention. And, and that's, kind of that hypervision. So you're at home. What are the storylines that are playing? Let's just identify them. Let's just bring them up. What are the storylines that are playing that are taking you away from your family? What's going on? Let's do, let's take the power out of them. We talk, we call it diffusing. you know, let's just take the power out of them. Right. So um, I'll give you an example. The other day, my, um, my kid was supposed to pick him up from school the other day. And, uh, texted me and said, pick me up at 10. And I was like, Nope, not doing that. He's 15. (laughs) Picking him up at 10 o'clock. I'm picking him up from school. And so he's not answering me, not answering me. And so I, all these stories start getting created, right? I'm sitting there in the parking lot and I'm like, what's going on? Is he just kind of going crazy? Is he going off with a friend? Is he going to just, I'm supposed to, just let him go. He didn't ask for permission. What, what's, is he, is he losing it? Right. Is he kind of rebelling? All these kinds of stories are going on and I'm sitting here in the parking lot and I don't see two friends that walk right in front of me. I just don't even see them because I saw them, but I didn't see them and I didn't notice them because my mind is playing all these storylines because we want to fill in the gaps, right? Our minds naturally want to make sense of the world and fill in the gaps. And that's what our storylines do. They fill in the gaps. And so, with this, this is, uh, by the way, he was just talking to a teacher and he meant I'll be there in 10 minutes, oh. <laughs> pick me up in 10, not at. not at 10. So big difference. But anyway, all of that, what Tim was talking about that unnecessary suffering. So, so what I had to do is I had to just identify those stories. I'm telling myself stories. I'm just telling They're, they're, yeah. they're not helpful right now. I don't know what's happening. I don't, he's a good kid. Just let it be. And I could have just acted on that. And if I would have acted on that, then that'd really impact my relationship with my kids. So that's just an example in everyday life where this just has made an impact for me. And you know, if you're finding yourself being hypervigilant, then let's sit down and just figure it out. What are the storylines? What 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 are you telling yourself? And it's, again, a lot of times it's just shy of our awareness. Mm-hmm. So the more we can practice bringing this stuff to our awareness and learning to manage it, then the more we can be in the moment. And then I don't have to be hypervigilant when I'm at Disneyland or when I'm at home or, you know, then I can just, I can be hypervigilant when I need to be hypervigilant and I can rest when I need to rest.
0: We've run into an interesting, um, it's not even a conundrum. Uh, Basically there's been this concept. So within this whole primary and secondary thing, this, it is essentially a network of military law enforcement, uh, everyday carry people, people that are interested in self-defense, people that train regularly, people that take their safety seriously. There is a mindset with some that's been very interesting to almost counter. And so there's been kind of an emphasis talking about, okay, most of us are carrying a gun every day. Most of us might carry some form of support equipment, whether it be a spare magazine or a medical or whatever. And some people and, and this and this is it seems to be a little bit more on the non law enforcement side, feel the need to carry some larger firearm, multiple magazines, all this stuff that, in my opinion, is in excess. And then a point that I've made a couple of times is, OK, how does this affect your family life? Is this hindering you from being able to enjoy your time with your family? Is this hindering you from being able to be roll around on the on the ground with your kids or jump on the trampoline? And it's interesting that the role some of these people have put themselves in that they are this this and I can't stand the term sheepdog, but they are this sheepdog persona thing. And yes, I have to be the protector in this. How much are they missing out in their their own lives? Because of this whole thing.
2: Protecting their identity.
0: Yeah. And it's not, and it's truly not even part of their identity. It's this thing that they want to have their identity. Why, why can't we just be ourselves?
2: Well, in their mind, it is. Yeah. Yeah. To them, it is. Yeah. What? Just just be us. Just be who you are. Yeah. It's harder. It's harder than. It's, it's just, it's not, it's simple. It's not, I mean, all that we're talking about sounds so simple, right, Tim, but then yeah. when you really get to the work, to doing the work, it's, it's work, it is work. And so I just really admire guys like Tim and others, um, who have been willing to, to do this work, who've been really willing to kind of sit down and just look at the hard things, look at some of those hard stories they're telling themselves and be able to, to, to manage it. And just it, doesn't, it doesn't fit be the better, persona, be better, just Keep keep improving, yeah. And and well, that's and it takes some guts and courage. It does it absolutely. Yes. It takes courage.
3: Yep. It's going to get Yeah, but I mean, I think I, I I can answer that question a little bit better the way I think about it. At least, is the hyper vigilance to me when you say hyper, uh, that automatically makes me think, well, you're, you're doing something that's not you're doing something wrong. There, we want you to be present. Yeah, we want you to be in the now. And if you were clearly in the natural mind and you were actually in the present then you're going to be better off as a concealed carry. You're going to notice the guy who's sticking out in the crowd because instead of being maybe overthinking about how big of a gun, like you said, gun you're carrying on your hip and whether or not someone's going to bump it and knock it off your hip or something. I mean, you're talking about the complete opposite of what we want them doing. Yeah. We want you grounded in the moment yes. and paying attention in a natural state and not attaching a bunch of fears and thoughts and, and dysregulated dysregulated thoughts about you carrying your gun. Instead being in it. I'm ready if something happens because I'm in the natural state of mind and I will be able to react properly because I'm not living in my thoughts. Does that answer your question a little bit better, Matt?
0: Oh, I agree with you entirely. And it's, it's fear and it's fantasy. And right. Unfortunately it's, a bit disconnected from what reality is.
3: But being really aware of your surroundings in a natural state is not and not dysregulated is not a bad thing. That's where we
2: want you. No, I mean, like I said, I mean, if you're going on a DV call, you want to be hypervigilant. Absolutely. So, hypervigilance in and of itself isn't bad. There's a time and there's a place for it. There's a reason our bodies do that. We're going to need to do that.
0: And that was an issue that I had as a baby cop up until, I don't know, five, 10 years ago, everything was constantly hypervigilance, always focused. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm always going to respond even when I'm off. And then I realized, well, why there are people that actually, that are on duty. They actually are paid and equipped to respond when i'm not working.
3: And you're not getting the rest you need to
0: rest yourself. Exactly. Your exactly. Yeah, right. I need to let, let put my mind at ease on occasion so that you're Sometimes. recharged
3: and you're ready to go when it's time.
0: Yep. Yeah. When i'm actually paid and supposed to be doing that. Right.
3: Good stuff. Well, awesome. Well, yeah, what would you guys I, I, think?
2: Well, i do need to head out um, but I, I'd be happy to come back and, yes. and share I, more with you. Yep, yep, and yep, this yep. has been just that's... a really fun conversation. It's been really great.
0: And I think I could probably also convince more people like uh, Chuck to come and we can we can attack another aspect or, or, or something else. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I'm going to be, again, to those of you listening at home. Um, yeah, if you have any questions, uh, reach out to me, Matt, at primaryandsecondary.com if there's more you want to hear of this kind of stuff, let me know and we can tailor the episode towards what your needs are. And this doesn't necessarily have to just be the popo. It doesn't have to just be cops, first responders or anything like that because these concepts apply to everyone. So with that in mind, let's get some final thoughts. If you guys have anything to plug, I know Tim has so many companies. He has to shout out to Tanya. I- what do you have?
2: Uh, well, I just want to just number one, thank you for having us. I mean, this is just really fun to have this conversation, to be able to talk about what I do every day. And I really love it. Um, but I, I, mainly just want to plug the iSystem Institute up at Utah state and, um, the work that they're doing with law enforcement, um, a couple of resources. We have free workshops that we put on online that anybody can attend every, uh, every other month. We're doing one right now. So we'll probably do another one in December. So if you want to check out our website, it's i, System I as in the letter I System. system.usu.edu. So that's our um, that's our website. So if you want to check that out and you can look under workshops and you can just register and we'll send you a zoom link and get you started there. If you're interested in, um, having any of the trainings that we've talked about, the grit training that we've talked about gaining, um, grounding, resilience, intelligence training, if you're interested in that, you can, um, contact me. Uh, my email is Tanya T a N Y a dot hurdle p is in paul i r t is in tom l e at usu.edu so go ahead and contact me be happy to work with you on scheduling that we're we're funded to do this for the next year and a half so want to get as many departments in as we can USU
0: has some really interesting stuff happening.
2: Right. Um, I know they with have all you. unique stuff.
0: Yeah. Jeannie Johnson has her whole program, which I really want to get her on and discuss. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know Jeannie, but uh, it's basically, let's see here. It's the anticipatory
2: oh, intelligence. Eight,
0: yeah. Yeah. We've done
2: training with them.
0: Yeah. We've trained
2: cool. them. Dr. Toleson has trained them. Yep. Uh, yeah. You should definitely have them on. You should have Dr. Toleson on as well. Okay. With her. I mean, <laughs> I, I know he'd love to come on, but um, yeah have him come on with her and they could talk about kind of their partnership. That'd be really cool.
0: Heck yeah. Yeah. I'm all for that. And and one of the cool things about this kind of thing is the, the potential for networking, because I have listeners from all over the country nice. to extend to mostly English speaking countries. There are a couple that are non-English speaking, but they still listen for some reason. Um, but yeah, it's, it's cool to be able to spread this kind of uh, information out
2: to yeah.
3: people that that are looking for it and they need mm-hmm.
2: it. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Tim, I would just say, keep supporting your lawmakers, support the people that are that are funding this, maybe even reach out to them and thank them for it. I think uh, uh, that that's where we need. We need this to be the direction we're going with. This funding has to continue and we have to continue to help educate first responders and the people that are protecting us.
0: Yeah, You know, that's a good point because I have uh, gone in the complete opposite direction basically saying, make sure your law enforcement or your lawmakers are aware of what your position is, especially if they're doing things that are against what your beliefs are, if they're not accurately representing you, because ultimately they work for us. That being said, if they're doing good things, they need to be aware of it. And a a program like this, it's probably a good idea for Utah residents, if they like this, to let their legislators know, hey, this is good, please continue, because if they don't get that feedback what are the odds of it continuing
2: continuing? Yeah. Yeah. So thank you, Tim. Appreciate that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yep. So that, that was an awesome discussion. And I, yeah, as per the norm, uh, and uh, unfortunately I have to say this also, this probably won't be the most popular episode because it's real and it's not just talking about guns or stuff that, that people perceive to be cool. This is real. And this is, this is important to discuss.
2: Some people perceive this to be cool.
0: I yes. Oh, cool. I think it's, a. Am- I think it's amazing. And I it, had Chuck been able to stay and I can think of others that would have joined us. Yeah. This is absolutely beyond cool. But unfortunately some people are more interested in the tangible than the things that we always have with us. I don't always have one of these with me. I always have my mind and yeah. the better I can hone that the better off I am.
3: Yeah. Tim. Absolutely, oh, okay. we 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 can absolutely to make this into uh, some episodes where we talk about how having a sharper mind is going to make you a better yeah. warrior. Yeah, it goes, it absolutely goes along that path and fits right in. And in future episodes, maybe we could do that.
0: And and it's easy to say for a lot of people, but how many are actually doing and how many are actually practicing and studying in it. And this is something that takes active participation and active efforts. And it's not something that just passively occurs. And that's also a benefit I've had of having these uh, podcasts for the past six years, six years talking to professionals. And it's been helping me with my thoughts. you want
3: bigger, stronger muscles. You're going to go to the gym. You want a bigger, stronger mind. You got to work it out. You got to work. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So one of my favorite things to say, typically it's always at the end of one of these episodes. I try to say at the beginning, but what it is, is it, it is support those sources that you have found to be beneficial. If you like what these guys have had to say, make sure you find them on whatever bit of social media you're on subscribe yeah, we're on like share media. yeah so I, I, yeah. where are you guys at on so
2: we're on facebook we're on instagram we're thinking about starting a TikTok. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, but anyway facebook instagram linkedin yeah yeah, yeah. just i dot edu something if you look up i system you'll, gotcha. you'll run into us yeah but
0: what's sad and this is something that i have to repeat all the time because i don't think it's quite getting through there are these algorithms that are kind of working against the really good the good sources of information because good sources of information that's not necessarily the popular mm-hmm. so we could have all the there could be the most entertaining channels that are getting all the all the clicks the good stuff that actually will positively benefit you aren't getting the attention so find them like share especially share if it's beneficial to you if there's something that's been spe- that's been helpful you you probably should support that. That goes with everything primary and secondary. We are on Facebook, on Instagram, website, primaryandsecondary.com, forum, com slash forum. We have all kinds of resources. They're for your use. Please use them. It's also free. I've made sure that all of our good, educational, beneficial content is not behind a paywall, and it will always be free for everyone's use. Yeah, we have Patreon if you go to patreon.com slash primary and secondary. Not that I've ever said that before. Uh, we have that if you want to support the network. Basically, what that does is that helps pay for some bills. That also pays for we did a video shoot a couple of weeks ago. We shot a bunch of guns, we did gel testing. We tried to break a Taurus revolver, which worked very well. I'm it's basically a fidget spinner right now. Um but yeah, Patreon is a huge, huge, huge help. And thank you to the Patreon subscribers. Also, thank you to our sponsors of Big Tech's, or Big Tech's Ordnance, not Outdoors anymore. Filster, Primary Arms, Walther. Um, and also thank you for for joining us. Not sure what we're going to have for next week's episode. I guarantee, though, it will be good. I hope. We'll see. That is all. We'll talk to you guys later.